You're listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Welcome, everyone, to an episode of Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. My name is Jeremiah Johnson. I'm the director of the Center for New Liberalism, and I'm here joined by Shane Tews and Michael Mandel. Shane is a senior fellow at AEI, and Mike is the chief economist at the Progressive Policy Institute. And we're here today to talk about tech policy. This has been a hot area the last few months. There's a lot of energy on this uh, from both sides of the political spectrum, which has been very interesting. And, and I want to get into this with you guys, because I think both sides of the political spectrum have very different views on why tech companies um, are in trouble <laughs> from their respective positions. But we'll get into that very soon. Uh, Shane and Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks very much, Jeremiah. All right. So I think the, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to just set the ground level expectations of like, where are we? What's happening right now in Washington? Why are people mad at tech companies? You know, there's there's this energy in DC around like something must be done. This is the big DC vibe sometimes is we're all mad and we're not entirely sure why, but you know, something must be done. So what's what's going on right now? I, I think you've you've hit it right on the head. People are mad and they're not they're not quite sure why. You know, on one side of the on one side of the aisle, there's a lot of people that think the tech companies are too big, and um, leading to uh, uncompetitive behavior. They're not quite sure what the downside of this is, but they don't like it. Um, and Shane, why don't you talk about the other side of the aisle? Yeah. So uh, there was a the House Judiciary Committee spent a lot of time putting a report together, which turned out to be a lot of news clips. And then they had a very long, almost 24 hour uh, hearing, which moved into a markup and they came out with five pieces of legislation that all attacked, not just all technology companies, but really the, the largest ones right now, uh, you know, Google under you know, as Alphabet, Apple, Amazon and Facebook. Somehow Microsoft slid underneath there, obviously very good lobbying on their on their part. But what confuses me are these are the companies that really kind of held us together during COVID. And we, you know, and they were doing great before that. And, you know, it was, it was sort of a surprise of the economy was how well the economy did during COVID. But a lot of that was because we were able to adjust and make life, you know, still work because these platforms were prepared to, you know, kind of allow us to continue to get groceries, find ways to work online. Uh, the devices that they put in our hands are what allowed us to do um, Zoom calls and WebEx. And and so the the anger is candidly really befuddling to me, especially since this to somebody who's been in the tech space for a long time, is just the next layer of where we're headed in technology. So putting kind of the kibosh on what's making tech good because it's considered big tech is I think a very wrong turn for our society. It's interesting to me because I I look at this through a political lens, and I think Mike has hit the, the nail on the head as far as from the left, there's a lot of people who are 
concerned about the classical left things, you know, the the fact that corporations are really big and they have a lot of power and maybe this is bad in some way. Um, it, Mike said, <laughs> I kind of agree that they don't make the clearest case for precisely why it's bad, but they're very concerned about it. But what's interesting is they have allies on the right who are very, very angry at big tech for a completely separate right. set of reasons where in a lot of instances, it's um, it's the fact that social media sites have have censored the president to some extent, or you know they feel like they're going after conservatives, and you know you have your your Josh Hawleys of the world who are now extremely anti big tech, but it seems like for a very separate set of reasons, and then I'm not convinced that either one of those positions is really what normal people get concerned about when they think about big tech because wow. i do think there are reasons that that the everyday person out there you know in public opinion polling or whatever has concerns about technology companies but i'm not sure either one of those things are it we we recently did a, a survey of battleground voters and it looks like that what voters are mainly concerned about is privacy and data security and this is bat in battleground states and some battleground uh, districts they're worried about personal data. They're worried about privacy, financial transactions. They do have some worries about size, but that's not really at the top of their list to worry about. They mostly care about the services that they're getting and make sure that they're, that they're safe and secure online. And that's why this is why you know some of the legislation is interesting because it doesn't actually address the bills that are that are on the table. It doesn't actually address the what seems to be the real issues. You know, uh, Shane mentioned the the House bills, then there appears to sort of be a Senate bill that's coming from uh, Senator Klobuchar, which is very, very similar to uh, one of the House bills. And once again, it's it's not quite, you know, it's, it's hitting certain things, but doesn't actually seem to be hitting what people care about. I think your survey results are actually encouraging for me, even though they're what that is happening with data and security is discouraging because it's important those are a priority. Uh, I recently wrote a piece for AEI talking about uh, a, a hearing that was last week where Senator Blackburn uh, just, she she kind of mixed her messages. She was very proud of Apple for taking down certain um, things that, that were allowed onto the platform because of, um, you know, be, because of what Facebook was doing, they actually went and basically had a confab with Facebook and said, this is a no-go for us because it, it, we don't allow for these kind of conflicts to happen. And what, but her bill is asking for there to no longer be the barrier to entry into the app store, which is security. So to your point of your, your survey, security is very important. Uh, when Steve Jobs you know, talked about when he created the iPhone, he realized that taking a great big computer, which a lot of us are on right now, you know, as we do these types of programs, it's big and it isn't able to take your life with you. He designed this knowing your life was going to go with you. So it was going to have a lot of information on it that is your contacts, your, um, you know, things that go on in your daily life, things about your family, your photos. And that needs a level of protection beyond what your operating system needs on your computer. They're all very important. I don't, you know, it's this one's important. This one's important plus plus. And one of the things they designed with the app store was the vetting process to make sure that things that you put on your phone are not taking information off of it and sending it to other places, which is happening quite a bit, um, as well as just it's protecting the information that you choose to put on your phone. Yeah. Some of this legislation is suggesting that they need to take those uh, those security measures away in the name of, of consumer um, welfare. And I, 
that's just counterintuitive to me. I mean, we these are there for a reason. You have choices as a consumer. If you don't want these protections, there are other devices you can buy that you can still load most of the information or most of the apps on, but they're not going to give you that level of security. So I think the the competition and privacy and consumer welfare are what really people are asking to be our, our Congress to be taking a look at. They've just gotten into this cul-de-sac of only wanting to beat up these big tech companies, and they've gotten away from the idea of looking at privacy and security, which is very important. Well, so let's take a look at what is actually being proposed, because this is not the first salvo here. Uh, the House had a series of, I think, five different bills that um, that were proposed as far as new regulation on, on very large tech companies. Um, and this came from members like uh, Cicilline, I think, and um, Representative Jayapal. And those bills were, were pretty sweeping in what they covered, what they would co force tech companies to do. Some of them would be broken up. Some of them would be extremely heavily regulated. What do we know about the bills that are being proposed in the Senate? Because the House bills to this point have not gone anywhere. They've been proposed and then they've just kind of sat there with no momentum. Well, they, they but, passed out of the committee, but they haven't gone anywhere since the committee vote, correct? The, the, the Senate bill that's coming from Klobuchar and and, and Republican Grassley is very similar to, uh, to one of the House bills in that it focuses on what they call unfair preferencing of 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 the of tech uh, products and services, and trying to create more internal competition, which sounds good until you look at the details. If you think of the analogy that I like to use is if you think about a, a car coming from say Ford or GM, it would be saying that Ford or GM had to sort of put in parts, had to give equal rights to sort of parts from from any supplier rather than the suppliers that they wanted, and it basically gets away from the idea of integrated products and ser services and produces something else altogether. And what makes it kind of, I don't know if the word is horrifying, but it is, you know, these, the bill that is going to be, it, it, that uh, is going to be introduced in the Senate. Okay. Uh, is, um, uh, doesn't, this doesn't, it, it only focuses on the largest tech companies. It doesn't, you know, use the um, the consumer welfare standard anymore. It basically just focuses on competition, and it has very very high penalties, which is you know, they can be penalized up to fifty. Uh, companies can be penalized up to fifteen percent of their revenues, and so the problem is that this this turns this into an existential crisis. It takes. I mean, Shane mentioned that these are some of the most successful companies in the U.S. economy, not just successful in the U.S. but successful globally. These are really national champions. And it basically sort of treats them as, as, as criminals without actually explaining why it should be they should be treated that way. Yeah, and part of it. So what the little word they use for two words, I guess, is self-preferencing, and that self-preferencing has been going on for a very long time. I, you know, I don't care who makes my allergy medicine. I care that it's the right dose. So if I go in and it's Walgreens or CVS, it's probably made by one of the same companies that is a branded name on there. Safeway, Giant, all of these companies, Kirkland, Kirkland's huge. Uh, I don't actually get to go to Costco very often because I don't have much space, but when I do, I'm fascinated. And I always want to know who's making the Kirkland brands. They do a ton of what we would consider self-preferencing, but because they are a physical entity that spends a lot more money on real estate than they do on having a web presence, they are not included in this legislation. But it's the exact same thing. 
whether or not I buy batteries from Walmart, Costco, or uh, Amazon, I just want the batteries to work. Shane, for for too long, Costco has been selling low cost and high quality Kirkland Signature products, <laughs> and it's high time that we stop them. They need to stop having high quality. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the interesting question. I mean, it's almost the same thing for the for the for the tech companies at this point. No, you know. You, the, the worries about privacy and security is, is worries about the, the quality of the product. But it's not clear what these bills are addressed towards. If they're not addressed towards privacy and security, they're addressed towards something else. They, you know, not consumer welfare, because consumer welfare isn't in there anymore. They're addressed towards the idea that, 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 that there's a lack of competition, but that's, kind of, that's just kind of weird. I, I, I always wonder, do, do they... Do the people who are proposing these bills seriously believe that, like, the world would be a better place if, for instance, say Google was smaller and it had never created Gmail? And, yes, and, yes, they they actually seriously and, believe this, and they seriously believe this. You know, when you sit down and talk to them, if you think about the you think about the history of the word progressive and go back to the progressive era, it's this view that the that big companies are inherently bad, and that and that. And they have too much power. And so that's really what it comes down to in the end, because, you know, when I sit down and I sort of look at things like job creation and investment, these companies are doing fantastic. I mean, they're doing they're doing and they're, and in terms of consumers, they're producing products that are very low or zero cost and that work really well and that perform very well during the during the during the pandemic, as Shane said. And when the objection, the objection is really about. Well, see, I, I believe that they believe that in the abstract. But if I was to sit down and say, would the world be a better place if Google Maps didn't exist? If, if Gmail had never been created, if um, Chrome was not a web browser, if Google had never created any of these free products, um, which, you know, and, and Google's probably one of the best examples of this because they're a dominant player in one thing that uses their profits to kind of create all these free other things. But like, I don't, I, I can't find an actual like anti Google Maps constituency other than maybe like Yelp specifically, who is mad at Google Maps for stealing their business. But someone sent me something that used MapQuest the other day, and I was like, are these guys still alive? Wow. But you know, <laughs> there, are, there are choices out there. Some people are diehard in their space. They're probably on MySpace as well. But uh, the key for a lot of these companies is they are, they are, they go after a passion. They decide they're going to create the best map ever, and they actually want to get acquired. I mean, Waze is part of the Google complex. They've been able to keep their system separate. Candidly, I wish, you know, I always just want the best map that's going to get me someplace the most efficiently, safely, maybe fastest. Uh, and so the idea of creating a, a piece of technology is that people want to have it used. And being bought by one of these companies gives them an exponential of potential research and ability to plus up their product and get in front of the audience of who they really care about, which is the consumer. So the one of these bills is, is actually a saying that you know mergers and acquisitions in this space are bad. You know who loves that? The Europeans. The Europeans would love to see us you know, tear our own companies apart. And maybe one of their mediocre one or two that are actually exist in Europe companies will show up and, and make our lives efficiently more mediocre i mean that's <laughs> so the this idea feels, of, this feels like an empirical question like you know yeah. with, with the with the competition idea has the rise of giant tech companies led to fewer new tech companies and i feel like if you measure that question like how many unicorns have there been in the last five years it's got to be it, a huge it's number. just enormous well if you actually think about the classic case of zoom uh 
Okay, Zoom came out of nowhere during the during the pandemic, became a great company, and so clearly it was not one of the big tech companies. I mean, actually, what happened was that the founder of Zoom came out of came out of Cisco, where he was working on WebEx and. You know, Cisco was not doing what it should be in terms of sort of providing a better product. So he made a better product and has been really successful. And we sort of see, you know, all across the, you know, the the, the rise of, of small tech companies that are sort of doing very well. But I also think that another way to sort of look at it, and it's really important to a lot of people, is what's happening on the job market, yep. which is that the that that the tech e-commerce sector, which you know, what you would expect when you sort of have a big company that has a monopoly, monopolies usually sort of try not to grow, they try not to hire. And so you'd expect less hiring if you had monopolies, but it, what people talk about is monopsonies. But in fact, what we've seen is just a tremendous amount of job growth. Over the last four years, the tech e-commerce sector has added 1.7 million jobs. That's compared to 600,000 in healthcare, and the rest of the economy has lost 4 million jobs. And it's really been this. This has been. It's really turned into the new manufacturing in terms of being able to create jobs for people with a middle with a middle education. Well, and the efficiency that the ability of I think of it as the app economy. I can do so many more things as an individual without the the need of another person, which would always give me a time lag. Like when you have to actually call and make an appointment for something. You know, it's it's just much more efficient to be able to do that on your own time frame, and that's you know between artificial intelligence and the enabling of of things to, you know, also blend so my calendar can talk to that device. If I make an open table reservation, I can port it onto my calendar. Those are things that actually some of these bills are are not realizing that down in the food chain they might inhibit that because they don't want all these things to play together. The ability for all those things to be cohesive within an ecosystem that I choose is really important. Um, I just want to go back to one thing. The uh, Financial Times says today, tech startups surpassed 500 billion in U.S. public listings. So the idea that we are having a slowdown in tech because of big tech seems not to be the case by the market, at least. So we've kind of taken a look at why this is happening, the political instincts behind it and, and what these bills would do. But if, if they were to pass, you know, w would something like this what effect would that have on the, the tech sector in the United States? Would this be as big a deal as, as we're making it out to be? Would the tech companies just kind of have to grumble and, and you know, put up with it, but like nothing would fundamentally change? Like, what do you think the ultimate impact would be here? It's a giant out of control experiment. Basically, if you're giving regulators the right to sort of create regulators, the right to uh, impose fines that go up to 15% of revenues, you're forcing you're forcing tech companies to to take protective measures, you know, and the protective measures that they'd be forced to take if they wanted to avoid self-preferencing, are could be things like you know Amazon getting rid of third-party marketplaces so they're just not in a situation where they are potentially subject to these type of penalties. You you have you know you have the potential of of Google Maps being forced to forced out of listings. You know, so you'd have to sort of do a couple of extra clicks. You know, potentially the, the one interesting question is, does this, what, th these are partly being animated by what's happened with Facebook at this point in the series of revelations. And the question is here, does that actually kind of get at some of those problems? And it may not. When you say like, I want to push on this just a little bit, because for a lot of people, they'll hear, oh, well, Amazon isn't allowed to self-preference their Amazon basics. 
and they'll say, okay, that sounds fine to me, you know, and, and if you say, oh, there might be a couple extra clicks on Google Maps, you know, there, somebody would say, okay, I'm fine with that. And I, I guess, you know, why do you think it would be such a big deal for Amazon to not be not be able to self-preference Amazon basics or, or well, but that's not we're actually we're actually not actually talking about self-preferencing Amazon basics. We're we're talking about really broadly written provisions that could that prevent any type of product integration at all. And whether or not that's Apple installing the the the, the Apple App Store on iPhones before before you get it. Okay, whether or not it's Google installing the, uh, their app store it's, or, or Gmail. It, it's about whether or not Amazon, you know, part of Amazon's business model is to sort of provide logistics services to third-party sellers. Well, it might turn out that they protest not getting identical treatment to Amazon, even though they're not the same. It may be safer for Amazon not to sort of do that have those third party marketplaces, in which case you don't have the economies of scale and everything becomes more expensive. And so we don't have any, any experience with this type of major changes in the way that successful companies do business. And historically, we have not done that with major innovative companies. The, you go back to US original antitrust law, the word antitrust was directed against trust, the, the, the meatpacking trust, the, the oil trust, and so forth. Large tech-type companies like Kodak and, say, General Electric were often the subject of antitrust suits, but they were not broken up or forced to change their basic business models. And this idea that you want to sort of force these large, successful, innovative companies that have hired a lot of people, pay them well, invest a lot in the U.S., invest a lot in R&D, kept us going during the pandemic, that you actually want to sort of force them to make major unknown changes in what they're doing for fear of being destroyed by these incredibly large fines. It's a very risky thing to do. So what happens there is it becomes a company full of lawyers trying to avoid financial risk versus engineers trying to find innovation. And it's when you can work with the engineers first and then balance out the, the regulatory legal aspects, that's what we are an environment we're in now. Once the lawyers become the risk managers, we start to lose innovation very quickly because it's it's too much risk for the opportunity against the new regulatory boundaries that have been set by the legislation. I think that's a really good point, Shane. Historically speaking, when when regu you know regulators can always federal regulators, if they try, can always pull down major companies. You see this historically, and what they do is they force them, as Shane says to focus first on compliance and second on innovation. That's not the way that, you know, that sort of turns, that turns US tech companies into sort of an industry that is much more cautious and cowardly and not, not growing. So all of this seems very divorced from what regular people seem to care about with tech companies. And I'll share an anecdote here. We were um, as at the Center for New Liberalism. We were looking to hire a um, a tech policy fellow, and we were, you know, uh, reviewing applications. And one of the open-ended questions that we put on the applications, beyond just you know, what is your experience, what is your education, you know, blah blah blah, it was just you know, it was basically an open-ended. Tell us your views on tech policy, just like that. Incredibly open-ended. We didn't tell them what portions of tech policy to talk about. Just you know 
what would you do in tech policy? Kind of like very open-ended. And even among this crowd of people who are like all in on the policy games, who are following what's going on in DC, even among those people, I think more than half of the responses centered on privacy and a, a small minority of them focused on tech companies being too big. And so it, that in conjunction with the, the more scientific polling, you know, kind of has convinced me that most people care about privacy. They care about their data not being stolen or not being used in, in shadowy ways or, or whatever the case may be. But that doesn't seem to be addressed here in any in any in any serious way. So I guess one question I have is what should be done around privacy? If people the public seems to be convinced that privacy is an important issue, if this isn't addressing it, what should we be doing to to help safeguard privacy? Well, I mean, I think that privacy is a very is a very broad issue and I what's what's interesting is that is that we had the uh Facebook whistleblower okay a couple of weeks ago and um what and talking about talking about whether or not children were being targeted and so forth. And without kind of getting into that, those are the things that people are, those are the things that people are concerned about. And they don't get dealt with, with these sort of economic issues. I mean, I think your question about what people are really concerned about, you sort of go through the list and it's not the products that are being produced. It's, it's not really the fact that, that Amazon is hiring all these, all these workers They're They're kind of, they're kind of concerned about the working conditions, but 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 you know the working conditions are are in, are are something that people can kind of deal with as a separate set of issues that are not being dealt with here, um, and they're kind of but they're but you what you're what you're asking for is more openness in how these companies make decisions, right? And that's and that's that's a difference that's a different sort of thing. You're giving regulators some more power to monitor. I think that that more regulation is needed, but you don't want it to be regulation which is existential, because existential, as Shane's existential regulation, as as Shane says, that threats to companies' livelihood, actually produces a lot less innovation. And you go back and look historically; that's part of how the U.S. has gotten in trouble in the past. Well, and data collection is the real issue that's driving Congress at many levels. The reason why Facebook is so good at what they do is because they are able to collect data and they repackage it and sell it to advertisers and they make a lot of money doing that. But that's actually what I think the members are worried about, not all these other things that Facebook's doing. The reason why Facebook just had all these articles written about them is they're worried about losing uh, revenue shares because if they lose eyeballs, they lose money. And so what they're trying to do is make sure that they secure eyeballs. And we have this juxtaposition where... The internet makes the world go faster and it means that the societal issues that we have come up a little harder and sometimes we're not really prepared to deal with them but those are not technical issues those are societal issues and so how we manage through those are part of the challenge but one way to to pull that back into the you know the consumer or, or the person's control is the ability to know how much information i'm sharing with whom and that is where privacy is very important Early on, we thought we could we could do this, you know, as a self-industry program back in the 2000s. And it's just it hasn't been the case. GDPR now is the de facto privacy law because most companies are global, followed by California. So we might we be better off choosing, you know, what we think is important to privacy and actually bringing bringing that into a federal 
privacy piece of legislation, then the software people can uh, build around it. And you can choose, you would, you know, I, I always talk about how I wish we had emojis when you went to go get an app and it has the things that I collect, I, I collect your contact information. I, you know, why, why do I need to use all these you know, parts of the device? There's probably a reason if they want to geolocate because I'm using Waze, they need to know where I am so they can give me a map. But I also am you know, very clear when I say if, if the app says I'm the devil and I'm going to sell your information to everyone, I would believe it. But they should have to tell me that. So they should, be they, should, they should be truthful about that. Yeah. So transparency, okay. transparency and accountability are really the cornerstones, I think, to a federal uh, piece of privacy legislation. But I think we need to get there sooner rather than later. That would and be a some, time. some companies some companies have put an emphasis on privacy like like Apple yep. okay uh, you know and some companies don't have business models that are built around you know uses of data I mean every all of these companies what's weird is all of these companies have different business models mm -hmm. and you know some of them have their business models built around collection of data and some of them don't yep. yeah it's it's interesting to me because the companies in question are are not all that similar. They, they do compete in similar markets sometimes. Everybody has a streaming service these days. Even Apple, which is mostly a hardware company, has a streaming service. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, Apple is mostly hardware. They sell computers and phones and, and tablets. Google is mostly not. They're dominant in search. And then you have social media companies, and you know, Facebook is one of those. There's many others. Um, Amazon is a retailer. They're really in very different areas, even though they they do intersect, but one of one thing that I'm curious about is whether social media particularly is is kind of a different beast because I think a lot of the worries that some people have about technology and the internet and and how that intersects with political power um, and how that intersects with our political process and our democracy are really focused around social media, not so much Google or Amazon or some of the other ones, but it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's some of these other big social media mm -hmm. sites. And, and and I wonder if you guys just have any thoughts about should social media companies be treated differently? Should they be uh, under the same framework? Well, this is where the intersection of the of the left and the right comes in, in terms of support for these bills. It's not actually the bill itself, but it's, it's their objection to social media companies. As, as you know, as we mentioned earlier, the writer, you know, thinks that that the social media is treating is treating um, uh, conservatives poorly. The uh, left thinks that uh, social media is inflaming uh, conservative and and uh, conservative thinking and 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 anti-democratic thinking. And so, you know, part of that's what's a little bit weird about these bills is that you have these bills that are including the Klobuchar bill, which is apparently economic in nature, but really, really designed to sort of, you know, bang on these companies and make them smaller and aimed at this trying aimed at the social media companies without actually without actually hitting them. Well, they're also part of the information and attention uh, economy. So, you know, part of it is the entertainment. We've seen that with TikTok's, you know, amazing rise. The ability for people to uh, find information, you know, the old school news networks just aren't where people go to find their their information anymore. And so I do think that is part of the challenge. And that's why we spend a lot of time at think tanks talking about Section 230 and the First Amendment is how do we balance things like that against how people are finding their information and how do you vet it? So, you know, we don't insist on on editors and people that make sure that the information flow is accurate and how do we put that all in place? That's that's actually a, a, a much bigger challenge to society right now than whether or not Amazon's a, you know, a really good delivery company. 
So, so the, and you mentioned TikTok. I mean, one important thing here is that is that foreign foreign companies are not covered by this these these bills. Okay, especially the Klobuchar bill. So TikTok is not covered. Alibaba is not covered. Um, and, you know, any of the Chinese any of the Chinese tech companies are not covered. And so you have this odd you have this odd situation where we're going to tie the hands of the American companies and leave open the um, uh, the whole area for the uh, for foreign companies, which are potentially more destructive. Yeah, I, I'm going to jump in because that was actually going to be my my next question. I, I love when this happens. Uh, thank you for that extremely natural transition, Mike. Um, but pleasure. But you know, if you look at the global tech landscape, essentially Europe does not exist. Europe has like Spotify, we, uh, um, and, and that's about it. I think um, if if we really stretched, we could probably find something else. But the essentially. 90% of global tech giants are either American or, or Chinese. And then, you know, you'll have a Samsung in there every once in a while, maybe one or two Japanese companies, but it's mostly America and China. When you think about Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, you know, and, and you could keep going on with these Chinese giants. When third party countries are, are trying to figure out how do we, how do we build our tech infrastructure? they're almost always choosing between a, a United States company and, and a Chinese company. And I guess there is a geopolitical implication to this of like, if we break up all the biggest U.S. tech companies, are we kind of just seeding the, the geopolitical stage to the Chinese tech companies and letting them own and letting Huawei own the, the infrastructure of, of most countries' technology? It goes beyond the. It goes beyond that. It goes into the into the next generation of technology as well. Yep. These are the, the the tech companies are the companies that are actually investing a lot in R and D for the future. Things like artificial intelligence, um, and their main competition is not Europe, but but the, but the Chinese. And the the question is: Are we are we in a situation where we are um, destroying our seed corn for the future for some reason that is not that is not clear? I mean. You know, you sort of say self-preferencing when you sort of say self-preferencing and you don't get Amazon basics. And that's really not what we're sort of talking about. We're, we're talking about you don't you don't 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 necessarily get the third party marketplaces. You don't necessarily get Amazon Prime. You have a lot of different decisions that are made and to basically shrink the companies, which is which is part of the point. And if you shrink the companies, you're actually making them less competitive globally. So the. Technology allows us to both communicate in how we conduct commerce. And so when we actually look at the physical technology, a lot of it's changed because of these companies. So they used to have what they would, the internal hardware guys would consider like the Cisco cycle. You would upgrade when your Cisco gear was upgradable, and then you would upgrade your software on top of that. And it was quarterly or annual, but you waited for someone else to produce the ability for you to innovate. And Facebook and Google were very strong on this. Amazon as well. Finally said, "This is this. These cycles aren't going fast enough. We have so much we want to do, and our engineers are are ready to go way before these hardware companies are bringing us the devices we need." So they started doing what they called home grow. So they would they were building their own network gear and producing it, and it it had, became an interesting dynamic because it meant that a lot of the old school original Silicon Valley guys need to catch up, and one of the ways they did that was cloud. So we are seeing a lot of really interesting dynamics within the entire technology division. 
Um, but that also gets to your question about uh, the China is, you know, it, it is commoditized gear. A lot of it is um, what they call network virtualization. So you can use what's considered a white box. It's not important that it has a lot of really, you know, cool gizmos. It's, it can it can do things with the software. And the the Chinese are have done very well by that because we helped them build those markets. We sent that intellectual property to them and asked them to build to our specs. And so we're into a really interesting dynamic now where we don't want to see China pull away from us uh, for economic reasons, but we also don't want to give China the ability to be a voyeur into our system at all times, potentially for both economic and national security harms. Uh, the other thing is one of the best working apps is actually WeChat in China. And, and we have our own regulatory reasons why it wouldn't work here in the United States. It allows you to have everything in one place, which is great as a consumer, but you also have to be in that Chinese mindset that the government already knows everything about you for that to work. I, th I think what's important to sort of realize is that these bills, including the Senate bill, are really very radical historically. And I don't mean radically pragmatic. They're, 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 changing, the, they're changing the rules of the game. They're moving away from the consumer welfare standard. They're, they are really not antitrust bills. They're really about uh, saying that we don't, like, we don't like the way these companies have behaved in the larger sense. And simply, I wouldn't say eviscerating the U.S. tech industry, but but really changing the dynamics of something of an industry that has been successful for consumers, successful for workers, and successful for the U.S. economy. And it's just a weird thing to do. It's very self-destructive. It is very weird to me to, to go back to a point you made earlier, Mike, that Republicans are mad that President Trump got banned from social media. The the left wing of Democrats is mad that even more conservatives have been banned from social media, and they come together to do something about this by getting rid of the consumer welfare standard, which yeah, is, it's, it sounds like a non sequitur. Well, like, well it's, you know. it's, 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 it's really, it's really about all of these bills in, you know, including this, including the, including the Senate bill are, are about um, changing the industry and changing the industry in ways that are completely unpredictable. And that's just, it's just a weird thing to do. And in, in, at this time and space, when the U.S. is is concerned with um, keeping its technological lead, competing overseas, producing lower inflation, which these industries are doing, these industries are not raising prices. Okay, they are raising wages. They're actually instrumental and sort of they are high wage industries, including for people with 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 middle educations like some college. And um, I've written a lot about this. So it's it's. I mean, in some ways, I think about these these companies as being the exemplar of what progressives should should be should be wanting, but they don't see it that way. Yeah, these bills have sort of a Nixonian price fixing element to them, where they want to come in in the middle and decide, you know, how consumers are going to manage a lot of their life because they want to these because these. Uh, companies are actually helping people manage a lot of their life. Uh, I think your point about uh, the labor force isn't really important. We're seeing a lot of these specific companies, but companies in general spend more money on reskilling. The things that you were, you came out of school and knew how to do at a certain point that changes so rapidly. And, you know, the fact, one of the biggest things we're seeing kids go into right now is supply chain management and data analysis. That just shows how important that these tech companies and the information they use and the information that flows off of the, the consumer choices is important to um, the, the larger uh, the larger economy. All right. So as we 
come somewhat to a close, one of the things I always like to do at, at the end of podcasts like this, for people who are interested, what would you recommend as further reading, further listening? You know, are, are there particular people you think are worth following in this debate? Are there particular books or articles or anything like that we can read? And, and Shane, I'll start with you. Where where do you go to, to read more about this, to learn more about this? What would you recommend for people? So my most favorite podcast, and he also has a newsletter, is uh, Ben Thompson's for Techery. I think he yes. just hits the nail on the head every time. Ben is Ben is fantastic, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's great. He he sees where the puck's going. He explains it very well as you're going there. So if you're looking for somebody who understands the intersection of technology and the economy with a touch of politics, that's the guy to go to. On on most other things, though, I'm still a huge Economist fan. <laughs> Maybe my ilk, but um, you know, reading the first two pages of the Economist, I always tell college kids that you should get used to doing that, and they also are pretty good at, at predicting kind of where. We're heading in some of these major issues. Uh, you know, there's when it comes to just everything else, there's, there's so much information flow that those are my first two things I go to every day. So I'm, I'm actually going to say something more general. I think people should read the news, but with an eye to thinking about that what these proposals are quite radical, okay, in terms of the amount of change they, that they intend to enforce. These are not marginal changes. These are not about Amazon basics. These are about changing the way that successful companies, successful, innovative, well-paying, hiring companies that have been the source of jobs during this pandemic, changing the way that they do business. And these are, it's, it's dangerous in this sense. It's, it's taking risks when we don't have to, because we, when we sit down and we actually ask what people want, it's more along the privacy and data security front and that changes what it should be, what, what we should focus on. And so I don't, I mean, I, I would sort of advise the listeners to read um, a lot of news articles with some skepticism. You know, anytime you see anybody minimizing the effect of, of, these, of these bills and including the, including the Senate bill, it's, it, these are not moderate bills. These are, these are bills that are designed to actually rewrite what the economy looks like. Two things only because it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month. I really want to uh, hype as well is that the two most important things you do is backup and update. Uh, I've had every, I had somebody tell me they had a ransomware, you know, rec, I would say suggestion to them, um, and I said, well, when was the last time you backed your information up? If it's within 24 hours, whatever device you're using, you can usually walk it into an expert, and they can recover you up to the last 24 hours. So you should never pay ransomware. Uh, but a lot of that has to also making sure that you're doing the updates that whatever device you're using, if it's iOS or Microsoft, you know, Microsoft is Patch Tuesdays. They're doing that because they know that there are items that filter into their system and they spend a lot of time making sure that they get them out. But you have to do the updates to make sure that works. So that, that keeps you as an individual safer and allows the data protection that you need to have in the system because data is where people, all that data flow is making money for someone. Well, I think it'll be interesting to see where these bills go. I, I certainly hope that we can get a, a better version of these bills that, that does more to address what people are actually concerned about, you know, the privacy and, and data collection and, and just transparency in that regard, rather than in a, in a Don Quixote style rampage against our, our most successful windmills, I guess. I don't know. Um, there, there, <laughs> it's not the windmills. These are the, these are the, these are the next generation of technology. Well, I mean, that windmills were high technology at one point, right? <laughs> right. And the people like tilting at them were the ones who, uh, the ones who we ended up writing a novel about and calling them crazy. So <laughs> uh, that's a good way to think about it. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Mike and um, Shane. Uh, it was great to have you. Thank you very thank much you for having me on. Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? Follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.